Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another very special edition of Ignite Radio Live over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio. We're very delighted to air for you tonight the wonderful presentations from our marriage mission retreat led by Father Nick Rao. If you'd like to hear some great testimonials corresponding to marriages truly seeking to live it, go to IgniteRadioLive.com, and we do invite you to join us in seeking to live this out in our marriages and families and world. Find out more at ilovemyfamily.us. Now, Father Nick Rao. Great to be here, and thank you, Stephanie and Greg, for inviting me. And I have known them since they met back in Erie, and it's just been a joy to be their friend and and to share some ministry opportunities with them. So I feel called today to, I just think that there's a lot of potential for grace to work today and and to take it home, as Greg said. Uh, So I'm just mindful that the, the work of the evil one might be paying attention to what we're up to here. So... Greg mentioned praying to our guardian angels, making sure they're hovering over us, but do you mind if we begin with a prayer to St. Michael the Archangel, just asking for his protection so that Christ reaches us and not the evil one. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, Cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, St. Joan of Arc, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So I was just struck when we were praying morning prayer. Uh, isn't that something? I had the passage all ready to go, and as soon as I picked up my ivory, it said, make an epiphany gift to ivory. I wonder how it got to that page so quick, but the, uh, I'm scrolling down, this wonderful passage from the reading, speaking about wisdom, passing into holy souls from age to age, she produces friends of God and prophets. So we pray, you know, wisdom, pass into these holy souls, into each one of us, and make us friends of God. I love metaphors, Jesus did too, you know, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, so I'd like to just uh, maybe just frame today in, with two metaphors. One is uh, a spiritual uh, physician who uh, both diagnoses uh, kind of what ails us and then pr- proposes a treatment. And so this first talk that I have, I think it's a, bit of a, it's a bit of a diagnosis of maybe some of the spiritual ills that can easily creep into good Catholic Christian couples. Okay, I hope you don't mind I do that. It is based on some work with couples. It's based on uh, my own uh, reflection on my own priestly commitment. And I think there's a lot of parallels at times with a priestly commitment and a marital commitment. So that's, and then kind of launch into, okay, some treatment. How do we treat it? And Greg was right. First grace, we're going to just have adoration, opportunity for sacrament of penance, uh, opportunity for the Eucharist, but also some thoughts about kind of how we address some of those spiritual ills. The second uh, metaphor I'd just like to throw out, and metaphors help me, uh, they, they help Jesus, St. Thomas was very supportive of kind of that analogical imagination that holy things can be likened to very concrete things. Um, so the second metaphor is based upon uh, Jesus at the well with the Samaritan woman. You know, there's a well, uh, there's reference to a bucket, and there's a jar. And, you know, the, the well, it holds the living water. And you're not the well, I'm not the well, Jesus is the well. You know, he's the living water, right? And, but we need a bucket to kind of gain access to Christ, the living one, to, to, to feed our thirsty souls. And then we need a jar to fill so we can take that living water home or wherever we go. And so, in a, in a way, I'm, I'm kind of like, how can today be an opportunity for you to fill your jar once again with the living water Christ and, and find ways to take that living water home. And so I'm a bit of a bucket today. That's how I kind of imagine myself. And Greg and Stephanie at times are buckets. You know, sometimes we're rusty buckets and leaky buckets and, you know, little buckets, big. Um, but there's that connection. And sometimes in your life, you're a bucket too. But today I'm kind of, Christ is the living water 
Each of us needs opportunities to fill the jar of our souls with his life. And, we, and the church provides so many buckets. And uh, so I'm a bucket today. At times, I'm going to, in my reflections, going to re bounce back and forth between you as an individual believer and then you and your spouse as a couple. And I hope you don't mind. I'm just going to kind of toggle back and forth a lot that way. I think that you do it naturally, kind of your journey in Christ and your personal relationship with the Lord. And then as a couple, how are we as in our vocation of marriage in Christ? And so I'm going to do that as well. Just wanted to make that comment. So... I'm going to make an assumption that all of you are in valid sacramental marriages. Is that a fair assumption? I, I, I'm not going to assume everybody in the room is Catholic, uh, but probably most are. But I'm going to presume that you enjoy the grace of the sacrament of marriage. And that's what I'd like to start with, the grace of the sacrament of marriage. I enjoy the grace of the sacrament of orders. Why do I begin there? Because I, I'm afraid that at times when we hear that, we, you know, as good Catholics, we affirm it and, and say, yes, of course. But sometimes, unconsciously, we can let our minds kind of veer into this sense of the, kind of the grace becomes a bit inert, or the grace can evaporate. You know, there's that, we, 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 we probably wouldn't say it, but there's that, I think, experience. Jesus isn't inert. Grace is not inert. Grace doesn't evaporate. But you and I, our lives in Christ can get a bit inert, flat, you know. And maybe our sense of Christ in my life and his grace available, at times that might evaporate a little bit. Uh, and so I'd like today to kind of, okay, let's probe into that. If you are in a valid sacramental marriage, then Christ's grace is in you. A few years back, it actually was my early on in my priesthood. I want to be vague about because I'm going to talk about a couple. But they had a terrible breakup for a terrible reason. And I, I'd rather not say what it was, but they had every right. They moved out. They, uh, they had kids. They split up. And I, they shared with me why. And I was like, whoa, how do you repair that? And I just, I'd rather not explain it, but... Trust, it's, it was bad. And at a certain point, after a couple of months, this husband and wife separately said, we were married in the church. Grace was given to us. We can, grace is bigger than this problem, and they are happily married today. So I just kind of that, that sense that now they, they were very active in their parish. They probably, you know, in those days, they'd be at something like this. But that sense of grace at work in their marriage, that sense of it had grown inert it kind of, that sense had evaporated. So how does that happen to good people? Because it can happen to good priests, too. You know, the grace of priesthood. Uh, and I'm, I'm basing my thoughts on a, a Dominican theologian you may have heard of, Cesario, Romanus Cesario. Does, does that interest you? There's a kind of a, a good doctrinal background to this. But he says that th this happens kind of two ways. One is we can kind of see grace as an historical thing. It happened. We were married in the church. You know, uh, and, and there's that sense of, yes, Christ blessed us as a married couple. And you might have a picture of that marriage day, and you might have the certificate framed. And there's no questioning that Christ gave you grace when you were married. But there's that sense uh, now of that... Christ blessed our marriage, and now we're doing our best, but that sense of grace has faded over time. And it's like, how do we access it? And, and if you're a good Catholic couple, you work really hard. But there's not that sense of living grace in your marriage. Same thing can happen to priests. I was validly ordained, grace was given, but we can go flat. So I don't know if that's, you know, uh, at work right now in you, but... Probably, if you've been married for a while, there is that sense of, yes, we were married, but now it's getting a little flat. As a sacramental bond in Christ. Cesario says there's another mistake. Instead of kind of looking back to the past, we kind of 
there's that sense of, yes, grace was given by Christ for our marriage, and it's kind of this idealism of the future. We muse or I muse about the kind of married couple we will become, or I muse about the kind of priest I will be. And it's kind of like I hold up this romantic ideal that I want to become, but I'm not there now, and so grace doesn't feel active in me. But it will be. It'll, when, when I get my act together better, then I'll step into that kind of priesthood or that kind of marriage, and then the grace will be alive in me. But Cesario rightly says, those are can creep in, kind of, we were married, and Christ gave his grace, kind of that back in history, or we were married and we will eventually get there, that kind of idealism, idealistic understanding of a marriage. But right now, we're in between. And, and so let's just presume, in both situations, the couple, you, both of you are real serious. You're trying hard. And the priest is too in the same scenario, but we start to get in our own way. So here's a couple ways maybe it might look like. I'm going to just kind of walk through them quickly. Kind of that sense of a good, holy Catholic marriage, good, holy sacramental marriage in grace, starts to, we start to narrow what it looks like. It should look like this. We should be kind of doing this, and we should be experiencing that, um, and, and we're not. And so grace feels inert. Or we start to get preoccupied with how I'm falling short. Oh, you know, I'm just, I'm just not the husband I should be. I'm not the spouse I need to be. I'm not the father. I, you know, I'm not a good priest. You know, you kind of keep beating yourself up for the failures. And maybe there are failures, but there's this preoccupation with the failures. Or maybe she's not doing what she's supposed to be doing. You know, preoccupation with her failures or his failures or my bishop. You know, I'd be a better priest if he were a better bishop. You know, you start to focus on other people's failures. Or I just get preoccupied with, again, this kind of idealized version of myself or our marriage and what we should become, and we never quite get it, and so I'm exhausted. It's like, I'm trying. You know, I can't tell you how often we as priests will hear, very, you know, I'm trying so hard. That's often... In a, in a confession of a married, I'm trying so hard. And, it can, and, and they are. But there can be that exhaustion of trying so hard, I'm not ever quite getting there where I should be. And priests, again, can fall into this same, never reaching it. And, and so I can get disappointed. You know, maybe I have this wonderful version of what marriage, you know, you look at Greg and Stephanie, what a beautiful marriage, you know. Never quite that. I'm just, I'm kind of poking fun at them. I hope they know that, you know. We're, we're not like that, you know. We're some idealized version of a married couple. So what happens? I'm going to go to another book. Now, some of you probably have uh, Achadia, the Noondane Devil, by the Benedictine Abbot Nault, I think N-A-U-L-T. And there's a couple books I'm kind of relying on. Some of you uh, readers are interested in that thing. Achadia is that it, it, the, the monks named it, but it isn't just monks who experience it, and it didn't take monks to discover it, but they named it. It's that, you know, you're in your vocation, and there's a certain point in that journey where it just kind of goes flat. You're in, and so because of this, what, what we referred to as kind of seeing the grace as something that happened in the past, or seeing the grace as something that I'll reach, I'm in this midpoint, and so there is that flatness that happens, Achadia, that noonday devil. And what, so what happens in your sacramental life as a couple? There can be kind of an inner sadness, and maybe even an indifference. You know, maybe even this morning you got up and you said, do I really want to go to that thing? You know, you know there could be a little... And that's okay. That's that. I mean, don't beat yourself up if if you're kind of reading in your souls. This happens to. Do I really want to say the office today as a priest? You know, you get a little uh, less desire for the good and the holy. A certain restlessness can creep in. Um, a growing distance from God. 
and, and like mediocre, maybe mediocre is okay. You know, that, that's kind of what Achadia looks like, that noonday devil. And it can creep into a priest's heart, and my suspicion it creeps into your hearts as married couples at times. And we just want to name it. We don't, and don't be hard on yourself today. You know, just be, be open to naming if this, if this diagnosis fits in any way, some of it, a little bit of it. You know, just don't, the, the, the response is not to be hard on yourself. The response is to say, ah, you know, that's what's going on. So what might it, what manifestations of it? Well, maybe a certain inclination to draw back from a real honest communion as husband and wife in conversation, in intimacy, in sharing of duties. There could be kind of a drawing back from him or her because of that achadia. Maybe a, a lack of openness to children. Maybe uh, a consideration, maybe it's time to do some, you know, contraceptive. Or maybe it's time to tie the tubes or, you know, kind of... A, Enough of this openness to children, you know. That, that, could, that could be a, a symptom. Or maybe a preoccupation with the children, you know. Kind of like this marriage thing is getting a little tiresome, so I'm just going to dive into my kids. I, I, that's not uncommon. Or maybe a search for novelty can come. The, the search for novelty can come in in all kinds of ways. Maybe in your intimate life. Maybe looking for novelty outside of the family, you know, hobbies or trips or other things that just kind of, this life of communion with my spouse is getting tiresome, so I'm looking outside. Or just kind of a rejection of the mystery of a sacramental marriage, you know. And, and so we, I fade more into a very secular understanding of marriage. That might start to creep in. It can start to creep into a priest's heart. It's very, and we can still be doing the stuff a good Catholic couple or good Catholic priest is supposed to do. We, we, that may not change at all. You know, so you still could be going to Mass, you could be praying the office, saying the grace before meals, paying the tuition bills for Catholic school or doing the homeschooling. You could be doing all those things but inside, something's starting to just, it's that grace just feels inert, flat. And marriage becomes hard. And it doesn't feel like a vocation. It feels more like a duty and an obligation and a contract. What's the remedy? You know, and, and we're going to spend, so I don't want to spend too much time on the diagnosis, because I don't, I don't want to stir up too much unnecessarily, you know, consideration. I, you know, kind of name where it might be, wherever that diagnosis might apply to you individually, or maybe you as a couple, you know, and, and not to stir up kind of any kind of animosity in any way, but just kind of an honesty. That, that's what I'm, and I'm doing the same thing about my priestly heart as I'm talking about your married hearts. Uh, you know, believe me, okay, and I'm there, as I walk through that with you, I'm naming the diagnosis for me. And, and that achadia, that, eh, that sluggishness towards the holy, I feel that at times. I feel it often, frequently, you know, you just kind of get tired. So what's the remedy? Um, the remedy, of course, is... Christ, and, and as uh, Andrew, is it Andrew? You know, Andrew spoke to it. It's, Lord, here I, I am. It's, forget this, what, what I was, what I want to be. I need to place myself before Christ as I am and as we are as a couple. So quit quit kind of trying to be the ideal. Quit trying to be perfect. He is present to us here and now. His real presence here and now is in you individually. He's in your spouse. He's in this room. He's in these circumstances. You know, what did, the kingdom of God is among you as I am. 
as my spouse is now. You know, his grace is not inert. It hasn't evaporated. I, I think good Catholics need to regularly kind of breathe you know, on, on the fire and, and let it kind of glow, the flame glow, the supernatural calling of a vocation of marriage. Let, let me maybe say that a little different way. The, the, the natural marriage is given to us by what God had created, and it's one thing that was not forfeit after the fall, we're told. But when Christ uh, came, he elevated, elevated it, you all know this, to a, a sacrament. And so there is, as a supernatural, we're a natural organism or we're a supernatural organism. You know, that supernatural organism means we can have a relationship with the triune God that's real. Uh, that we really can, an organism has kind of a, an exchange and we can have a real exchange with Almighty God. We can have a real exchange with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That relationship is real. And so I think we need to be very intentional. Intentional discipleship is the big term now. And I think it's great. So it's, we need to, I think we need to be very intentional and deliberate. And, and because you're here, I, I know you believe that. Uh, we need to be very intentional and deliberate that you are, each of us is a supernatural organism capable of having a relationship with the triune God and that that too, as a married couple, Christ can live and dwell in us. You know, I have to, as a priest, I need to remember, you know, be very intentional that the grace that I have been given, the grace Father's been given, it, it can change bread and wine into his body and blood. I need to be very deliberate that the words of absolution forgive sins. And it's not to kind of uh, puff up my importance. It's not to puff up your importance. It's to remember who you are. <laughs> you know, and we need to regularly remember, I am a child of God. And he, the Father loves me and wants me to live with him forever. Um, and so the remedy... <laughs> to that kind of the grace that was or the grace that will be, the, the remedy to achadia, that kind of sullenness, is just to remember that right here, right now, Christ is present, loving me as I am. And, and how quickly we can push away that grace, how easy it is for us to say, um, no, not, not me, not, not as I am now. I mean, look what I just did, or look what I just thought, or look, you know, look at... My marriage is not worthy of his presence yet. We're, we're working on it. You know, it will be. But no, right now, Christ wants to live in you and love you. And he wants to abide in you. Yesterday's gospel, um, these days between um, Epiphany and the baptism of the Lord are kind of fascinating. I don't know, if you liturgy geeks, you know, uh, kind of uh, pay attention, this is one of the fascinating weeks of the year. And, and we don't always get it, right? Liturgically, sometimes um, these days are compacted. But uh, last Sunday, the epiphany of the Lord. Tomorrow, the baptism of the Lord. Um, and so the readings, and I'm going to say more about that in my uh, later reflection. Um, the readings this week, have been very fascinating. It's basically in these days, and I was looking back, Stephanie, when we did couples retreats or couples nights, they were always during some liturgical season, which was kind of cool. We did one during Lent, we did one during Easter. Uh, this, this, so it's kind of neat to do one right now and to see how do the readings and the liturgies kind of apply to married life. This whole week, the Gospels have been, okay, if Christ was, is incarnate, born of Mary, adored by the Magi, begins his public ministry, then things happen. <laughs> you know, there's a multiplication of the loaves gospel. There's the healing of all kinds of folks. The, then yesterday, it was the healing of the leper. And of course, the, the leper is seen not just someone who's sick, but the leper is seen as someone who's somehow unclean. We, we know that. And so what does the, the leper hears that Jesus is nearby. He approaches Jesus. He says, Master, if you will it, I, you can make me clean. 
And what does Jesus say? They're such good words that are so good to hear right before adoration and right before confession. Jesus says, I do will it, be made clean. And immediately the man's leprosy was away, was gone. So we need to, re like, grace works. And the St. Michael the Archangel, protect us, because the evil one wants us to somehow get this lie in our heads that grace really doesn't work, at least not with me, because I've really messed up, or I'm really kind of, I'm not what I should be. Grace works. And, what's, and let Jesus say to you, I do will this. Be made clean now. It's done. Let me wash you clean. And the man comes forward, says, you know, if you will it, I do will it. You know, when, when you approach the priest for the sacrament of penance, you know, you say, if Christ, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, through the ministry of the priest, I do will it. Be made clean. So that's getting ready for confession. But it's also just analogously related to your marriage and to your married soul, you know, with your, your, your spouse. I do will this. I want to be in your bond of marriage, in all the mess, all the stuff that can happen. I want to be right there. Don't push me away. You are ready now for me. You know, don't try to perfect yourself. Don't try to come, let me come to you right now in your married life as you are. Not your idealized version. You know, as you are, let me be there. I, I do will it. I do will it. I want to be there with you. So I think um, uh, we spend a little time kind of maybe naming some of the subtle ways that the sense of a sacramental marriage and the grace of the sacrament can kind of wither, or at least it feels like it's withered. And I think a day like this is an opportunity uh, to let it sink its roots deep back in to your souls and minds and hearts as a married couple. You know, let it grow and, and just to, to whatever degree you might be kind of resisting or pushing away or saying, not yet, not yet. We all need to say, no, let me be there. That's what, that's what the priest wants to say, or the Christ wants to say to the priest. Father, <laughs> I don't think Jesus calls me Father. Uh, I think he calls me Nick. <laughs> he says, Nick, you know, don't get in the way. The people need me through you. So just back off. Let me in. <laughs> you know, let me be in, in your broken, fallen humanity. Don't worry. Don't, don't think so much of yourself. You know, we need to take ourselves seriously. Don't get me wrong. But the priest needs to let Jesus in him completely so that Jesus can reach others. Same thing in a married life. Just let Jesus in. I do will it, Jesus says. This is what I want. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. You're tuned in to Ignite Radio Live, and we're listening to Father Nick Rao at our recent Mission One Marriage Retreat. Now on to part two. How fittingly, in the midst of our couples retreat today, we hear the words of St. John the Baptist, he must increase, I must decrease. My preoccupation with myself must decrease. My plans must decrease. My worries about myself must decrease. I must more and more increase his life in me and allow his plans to have prominence. We all need to hear that all the time. But in a special way this morning, in the midst again of our couple's retreat, I want to go back a sentence in this gospel where Jesus says, I'm sorry, where St. John the Baptist says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The best man who stands and listens for him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. We are in the midst of these wonderful days between the Feast of the Epiphany last Sunday and tomorrow's feast, the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord. And what we're told in the church's very fertile imagination that to these two events, the church's imagination adds a third. The Magi presenting their gifts, Jesus being baptized by John that we'll hear about tomorrow, and the wedding feast at Cana. In our historical minds, 
they seem to be disjointed, but in the church's beautiful imagination, there are three events all manifesting the same reality, that Christ, as the bridegroom, is coming forth from the heavens into the world to step into his beloved humanity where his love is that like a bridegroom to a bride. The groom is claiming his bride in love. That's the mind of the church in these wonderful days. And so for you as married couples, there is that dynamic that the, the, Lord, the Lord God sees as a beautiful dynamic of his own relationship with us. That God in his remarkable love steps forward into our humanity and embrace us with love. Later this afternoon, I'd like to speak about Epiphany, the Magi, and I'd like to speak about the baptism, I'm sorry, about the wedding at Cana with regard to your married life. And so if you would allow me, I'd like to speak about the baptism of the Lord, which is technically tomorrow's feast, but in another way, in the, again in the liturgy of the church, these three mysteries all weave together. With regard to the baptism of the Lord, which you'll celebrate tomorrow in Mass, I would like to draw your attention to what Jesus does, to what the Father says, and what everybody sees. What does Jesus do? He steps into the waters of the Jordan River. It sounds so simple to be baptized by John the Baptist. What does that mean but that Jesus is stepping in to the very current, the flow of our human life with all its imperfections, with all of our weaknesses. He's going where sinners go, and he's planting his feet firmly in that Jordan River to unite himself to us, to be asked to be baptized by John. He is fully embracing our human condition, sinful and fallen. He's, wherever we might kind of dodge and try to be in our sinfulness, that's where he wants to be, in his divinity and humanity. And so allow that celebration of the baptism of the Lord to be a moment where you allow Christ to step into the Jordan River of your sinfulness. Allow him to be there right there with you to be baptized in grace. That's what Jesus does. What does the Father do from the heavens? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Once Jesus unites himself to you and you allow that union to be real, then the Father says, you are my beloved Son. You are my beloved daughter. We don't deserve it. You know, we, we, we don't earn it. There's nothing we can do to kind of be ready for it. We just need to receive it. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. And as a married couple experiences that ongoing love of God as a daughter and as a son, they can more readily experience and manifest their love for each other. Third, what does everyone see at the baptism of the Lord? They see the Holy Spirit coming down like a dove. It's a very deliberate allusion to the dove that appears after the flood. The dove appeared to Noah in the ark to manifest that the flood was over, that life could begin again, that the world was at peace. And so when the dove comes down and the Holy Spirit uh, to Jesus, we are to be taught that this is the way to peace. This is the way to the restoration of order. That when we allow Jesus to step into the sinfulness of our lives, that when we allow ourselves to be loved by the Father, then the Holy Spirit comes and the world, at least our world, can be at peace. We don't deserve it, but God wants us to experience it. May we experience that union with him, the forgiveness of sins, his divine love and the restoration of peace every time we celebrate Mass and especially as we celebrate Mass this morning.
and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. You're tuned in to Ignite Radio Live. We are blessed to be hearing Father Nick Rao guiding us at a recent Mission One marriage retreat. Now on with part three. When we talk about being intentional disciples, that word intentional is really significant. Let me tell you what it doesn't look like. I was on vacation with Father Ed, uh, a classmate of mine, and his brother in Tucson, Arizona a few years ago. We went to the Sonoran Desert Museum, and uh, we went to a live display of poisonous animals of the Sonoran Desert. You know, we were like in the front row. We were like, this is cool, you know. And so they actually had the actual animals there in front of us, the Gila monster and the snakes and all that stuff. And the presenter was saying that uh, the local hospital noticed all these people coming into the hospital that had been bitten by poisonous animals of the Sonoran Desert. And they tracked it, and they said about 75% were legitimate bites. And 25% were illegitimate. And it's like, what's that mean? An illegitimate bite was basically the, the individual who was bitten, it was not an accident. They kind of somehow caused it kind of, you know, we're provoking the poisonous animal of the Sonoran Desert, you know, with a stick or a foot or let's see, about 25%. So they took that 25% and they did kind of like, okay, what's the profile of this 25%, okay? Four characteristics emerged. Male. <laughs> 18 to 25. Drinking and have tattoos. <laughs> but it was the classic portrait of kind of recklessness, right? Which I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure many women have it, but I know as a guy, we, there is something in us. We're kind of wired for that kind of recklessness. And we kind of enjoy it sometimes, you know? But it's not good always in the life of discipleship, you know? We need to be kind of reckless for Christ, but not reckless about Christ, right? And, and, and so intentional means I know what I'm doing, and I'm, I'm going to do the right thing and for the right purpose. So this morning, and thank you for being patient with me, as I kind of suggested, you know, kind of diagnosed maybe a little bit of how the sacrament of marriage, especially the grace at work, can, can feel like it's inert or, or have evaporated, and where that might come from based upon some theologians and, and monastic wisdom. Uh, so today, now I'd like to talk about, okay, well, to... Acknowledging that, how can we might step into kind of if that was the diagnosis, what's the treatment, what can I do? And to do that, I'd like to rely on this liturgical uh, season that we're in right now, because I really think it's, it, it's beautiful. Some of you do pray the liturgy of the hours regularly, and the uh, anaphons for Epiphany in these days, are, for especially for the Magnificat, are just remarkable, and they explicitly say what the church has in mind in these days, I've mentioned it before, that there, the adoration of the Magi and the baptism of the Lord Jesus by John in the Jordan and the wedding feast of Cana, although they seem disconnected, are, are, are three manifestations of Christ who loves us stepping into our humanity and drawing us close to him as his bride. Beautiful imagery, right? So I spoke about one of those at Mass, and that's the... Uh, the baptism of the Jordan. So for this afternoon, I'd like to, to uh, walk through the, the other two, the adoration of the Magi and uh, the wedding feast of Canaan. Kind of what could they teach us about um, being more intentional about the grace of the sacrament of marriage? So I'd like to start with Cana, go to Magi, then end at Cana. Mary comes to Jesus. They've run out of wine. This, the hosts would have been a married couple, the parents, and they've run out of wine. Let's just allow this to be very rich and symbolic and a metaphor, that there are times in, in your life and mine when we really kind of feel like I'm spent. I poured out all I got. I, I, I don't feel I have anything more to, to give, and it's, a, it, it, or, and it's a bit embarrassing. I'm caught up short, uh, and, I'm, and how can I move forward? 
So let's just kind of start with, with that. Maybe, again, that, that kind of picks us, up from the, picks us up from the morning's reflection on kind of how the grace of the sacrament might feel like it's spent. It's, it's run out. I'm out of gas here. Um, and again, I, I am reflecting as an ordained priest that at times I felt that. Uh, and it's not that kind of good kind of exhaustion that Pope Francis has spoken of. You know, that good exhaustion of like, man, I worked hard and I am tired, but I served him today. That's good. That, but that other kind of being spent and emptied out where I just, I have nothing left and I, I'm not in a good place. So let's just start there. Now let's go to Magi, okay? The, the three Magi from the East. I just want to, I want to follow their journey on a couple things. How did they find their way uh, to Jesus? But it says they paid attention to the star. And then eventually, though, they needed the wisdom of uh, the learned scribes and Pharisees, or learned scribes that were around King Herod's uh, retinue. Of course, they would have been Jewish scholars. So the first step about the Magi is they allowed themselves to be led. And they allowed themselves to be led by that star and by the revealed uh, wisdom found in the Old Testament scriptures. And, and so it just kind of reminds us, if we're feeling empty, kind of we're emptied out, that we, we need to allow ourselves to be led. And just by you being here today tells me you're, you're ready to be led. You're kind of looking for the star. You want to hear the word. Uh, as Greg said, you know, kind of the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. You know, you're kind of ready to be, to, to, to be led forth and how important that is. A little story. Um, there is a, a writer who grew up in New York City. Every now and then his mother would say, son, let's go take a bath in the light. And what they would do is walk down to Times Square at night, you know, with all the colors, and just, his mom said, you know, we'll take a bath in the light. I was a little boy, he thought that was really cool, you know, and it, it would be. I, I didn't grow up in New York, and, and, but uh, if you've been to Times Square, you kind of, you get the image. But you and I know kind of spiritually, that's not the right kind of illumination to be bathed in, right? Uh, you're not going to be led to kind of a holy place if you just allow yourself to be kind of illumined by the lights of the world. And we, and we know that, but I think we need to kind of be reminded. That kind of, the bath of light in Times Square isn't going to get us where we need to be as disciples. The Magi allowed themselves to be bathed by that light of the star and then bathed by the wisdom of the scriptures, and that's how they find, found Jesus. And so we need to be bathed in the right way, illumined in the right way, especially by the wisdom of the church and, and the scriptures. So it kind of gives us a little thing, like how much, how off, how much time do I spend each day illumined uh, by wisdom that comes, I know, from above, from the Lord? You know, there's lots of ways to do it. I mean, there's lots of stuff on, on the Internet and lots of stuff that Greg and Stephanie help us with. You know, it kind of can remind us, kind of, where's the star, where's the word that I need to be paying attention to? But that's something that the Magi did. They led, allowed themselves to pay attention to something other than themselves and, and be guided. Next thing that the scriptures tell us is they, they uh, entered the house where the child was. It sounds very simple, but they entered a house. So they, they crossed a threshold they stepped out of a world really darkened and wounded by sin, and they stepped into a whole new realm of light. You know, Mary and Joseph and the child Jesus. That, that we need to make sure that regularly we, in, in physical ways and interior ways, kind of step across that threshold, step into the right places, kind of step out of that world darkened and wounded by sin. And that might be, you know, put my tablet away or my iPad. You know, that can, that can be crossing a threshold. You know, it could be making a visit when you're running errands, you know, stopping by the church, kind of where we literally cross a threshold into the holy. Uh, maybe daily mass, maybe you're able to do that. 
maybe stepping into the liturgy of the hours. You know, that, that's crossing the threshold from worldly activity and wounded by sin into the holy. Lots of ways to do it. You know, certainly the churches has plenty of traditions here. You know, pulling out that rosary, holding on to that scapular, you know, opening up the Bible is a crossing of the threshold from kind of our day-to-day -day world that we have to live in, uh, the mess, but then stepping across the threshold so that we find that Messiah. You know? So are there, are there some threshold moments in your daily life where you cross and enter into? And, and, and if not, then it's going to be cold and dark out there. You know, we do need, you know, for us priests, that's why they tell us, say that bravery. It's, it's a very concrete reminder to priests to stop what you're doing and step in to the church's life of prayer. And then you're going to step back into your ministry, yeah. Uh, for, for us, we, we kind of have it, uh, it's almost too easy for us. You know, we have the, the Liturgy of the Hours, we have daily Mass, but many priests would say, we have to be intentional. You know, we, we can do all those things, but it may not break into our, we gotta, you get, it's a very deliberate thing, I'm going to step in, uh, cross that threshold. The next thing we're told that the Magi did is they prostrated themselves right away. So that, obviously that means that need for us, you know, we're kind of emptied out. That's probably the best time to just fall down and worship God. <laughs> you know, it, sometimes, you know, because of Achadia, that noonday devil, sometimes is the last time we feel like it. But those opportunities to really genuinely worship God, you know, let his word in and, and let worship of him flow out from ourselves. Because um, we could step across the threshold and do something that's religious, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're worshiping God. Um, I find myself, this is something I struggle with a lot, I, I do my holy hour every morning. The first thing that I do is just, it's, I'm not bragging, I'm just kind of witnessing my commitment to cross across the threshold. But I notice just because I've done that, I put myself in that chair and I got my breviary at my side and maybe I got a hot cup of coffee too. Um, and I may be down in the chapel, I may be in my room, but boy, the mind can be far from worship. You know, my, the mind hasn't prostrated. Even if I'm on my knees, my mind could be, you know, standing up straight. So that, that call to be very deliberate in our, in our worship, to, be, to fall prostrate before God. Though they open their gifts, we're told. The Magi open their gifts. So let's just, you know, that we open in marriage, in the sacrament of marriage, and in the sacrament of holy orders, there's this need to open up that which is deep and personal and valuable. Uh, that comes in a lot of different ways. Uh, I was just at the table here with, um, I forgot your first name. Amber, Amber right. And, and she was sharing about uh, a national speaker who's kind of, become more comfortable talking about how she had to open up about some wounds from her past, you know, and the need for some mental health assistance along the way and good counseling. You know, part of, I think, living the grace that we're being given is to really open ourselves up to whatever healing we need, uh, natural and supernatural. And, and, and w w you know, whatever mistakes that we've made, whatever healing we need, we do got to open that up. And, and particularly, and you spouses know this exchange better than I do, but that need to really be open with each other about it. And I, I'm sure at some seasons in your relationship, my suspicion is that openness has come so easy, but my suspicion is at other times that openness has, is really hard. Uh, but that openness to, to open up your greatest treasure, which is your heart and your soul, to your spouse. I, a good friend of mine, uh, Ed Curtin, back in Erie, uh, he, uh, he's kind of candid with me over the years, and I don't think he'd mind if I said this, but he, he got married to Patty, and uh, he said, Nick, he said, it would, it, it's, it, it's how did, I want to get the verb tense right, shortly after he was married, he said, it's easier for me to stand naked in front of Patty than to pray with her. Yeah. I've seen a few nods, <laughs> um, but it's just kind of that real openness, body, mind, and soul uh, is, isn't always so easy. It's not always easy for us priests to really talk openly with each other. 
that's our kind of mistake. We, we can talk, tell stories, you know, but are we really opening up our priestly hearts with each other? Unfortunately, not enough. And then we feel isolated. You know, I've, I've been blessed to live with some great priests. It's going on 19 years with my colleague, Father Michael. And it's not a marriage, thank God, but there's, there are some similarities, you know. Uh, we see each other every day. We usually close the day having a, a beer or a glass of wine together around the kitchen table. Uh, and we really have worked hard to be more open with each other about our priestly lives. Um, and, so, and sometimes that's hard. So again, it's not a, I'm just kind of sharing a little bit from my vocational path that might have some relevance to yours. So to open our gifts with each other and then ultimately, of course, open our gifts before the Lord. And uh, I just went to confession just yesterday. I wanted to be primed and ready for today. And uh, my penance by my confessor was, he said, when you're driving on I-90 up to Toledo, you got plenty of time. So he says, just talk to, you know, and I shared something in my confession. And he says, you, you talk to Jesus about that. And you listen and see what he has to say. That's your penance. You know? So, and, and, and right. basically, open that up, he was telling me, my confessor. Open that up and talk to the Lord about it. So openness, transparency is a big word in the church now. It's a big need for us in our vocations. So the Magi open their gifts. And of course, right after they open them, they offer. So there's that self-gift. It, you know, it's, it, it's yours. You know, I can't own anything when I'm in front of Almighty God. I can't claim or cling when the king is before me. And, and how freeing it is when we get to that spot, um, how hard it is sometimes to really surrender. Um, and I'm sure it's the same in marriage. You know, I'm sure kind of that giving can sometimes feel like you're giving the other some advantage, um, that the, the balance might be lost. Uh, but it seems to me what the Magi teach us is if it's a vocation of love, we've got to be ready to give first um, and keep giving. I've noticed in my priestly life that when I get a little annoyed with what my assignment is asking of me, you know, my gosh, I can't believe I need to do this, and I'm just tired, and I, you know, now I've got to do that, and I can't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm I, I have both the, uh, my ministry, just, it, I, I work very closely with about 20 seminarians, live with 14 of them. So it's very day-to-day, -day priestly work, one-on-one, -on -one, knowing each other's foibles, and trying to call them to manhood in Christ, and then maybe priesthood in Christ. But then I also, in my Vicar for Education job, have a lot of these administrative things, you know, personnel, finances, and it, some days are, for me, I'm not, I'm not whining, I don't want to whine, but sometimes it's hard. And I've noticed when it's hard, that's when I got to give. That's, that's been my, what I've learned the past year or two. Now that when, when I'm ready to say, Bishop, enough. That's when I got to say, God, it's yours. And, and, and that sets me free. So sorry for getting all, yeah, yeah I guess it's inside of me there. So, um, and I'm sure it's the same with marriage. Uh, in different ways, according to what's proper to your vocation. Uh, but sometimes it, it seems like this should be enough. In justice, I think I've served pretty well here, you know? And I should get a nice country parish. <laughs> Thank you, you know? <laughs> and uh, what's that? Oh, McCain. Oh. <laughs> um, but, but it can't be that way with you, Jesus said. It can't be that way with you. And he wasn't saying that because he, he, was, he said it because he was calling us to something greater. So they were led by a star, by the word of the Old Testament. They crossed the threshold. They prostrated. They opened their gifts. They offered their gifts. 
And then we're told, um, you know, the very last point I want to comment on about Magi is they were instructed uh, to avoid King Herod. So they went home another way. They went home by another route. I, I always love that phrase because it, it's basically a reminder, I might need to do something differently. Um, maybe my plans that I had aren't the plans of God and he has more fruitful plans. So I, I need to go home a different way. Just a couple comments maybe on that. Um, sometimes we get, I think in this world, a different way. We, may, we sometimes can quickly go to the different way is more stuff, more religious activity, more commitments. Um, I got to do more for Jesus. Now, sometimes I think we do have to do, do more. You know, I, I think sometimes that's the word that he places. I'm not doing enough for you, Lord. And he wants us to do more. But I, I, I do, there's kind of like that activity asphyxia, you know, where it, sometimes the more I do, the, the more spiritually asphyxiating it is. It's a big word, but you know what I mean. Where it's just like, I don't think necessarily doing more is the different way that's going to bring me more life in Christ. Matter of fact, sometimes for some of us, it's doing less and, and doing it right. So that leads to how do I, um, and, and those of you who are parents, especially with lots of kids, I, you know, the activity that you have to manage. You know, I just spent a few hours with Greg and Stephanie last night in their home and like all the stuff that they have to keep track of. And then I was sitting next to Nikki with eight kids, right? Yeah. It's like, holy smokes, you know, the activity. So you have to become experts in, I think, practical discernment. Uh, discerning kind of what commitments are needed for me and what commitments are needed for our marriage and for our family. And, um, and I don't think these discernments are always very easy because um, I think the evil spirit really works a lot. Uh, in trying us to commit to the wrong things, or to too many things, or not enough things. So I just, just maybe a thought about kind of going home a different way and maybe what's discerning if you need to do something differently in your life right now. We could spend days together on discernment and uh, the wisdom of discernment in the church, especially through St. Ignatius of Loyola. Uh, I was blessed to have a couple great teachers in the area of discernment. And so I've kind of distilled a lot of that into a couple simple uh, nuggets. And, and one nugget about discernment, and I think kind of where I'm making my commitments, putting my time and my energy, is kind of what has been called the pleasure pain principle versus Paschal wisdom. If you've heard that, but let me, let me just the pleasure pain principle is the way a lot of good Christians do discernment and it doesn't get us in the right spot. This is what I mean by pleasure pain principle. That if, <clears throat> if I do what God wants me to do, that will naturally get me to a place where I'm really happy and enjoying life. <laughs> and if I'm really having if this is really hard, it can't be God's will for me. That the more I do God's will, the more I'm going to get to this place where life is great. And so the pleasure plane principle kind of starts to creep in. Like, if it's going to be hard for me, that can't be God's will. We never say it that way, but operatively, that's what we're doing. Um, like, that parish would be very difficult for me. There's so much tension and there's so much healing that needs to be going on. That can't be where God's calling me. You know, that would be a way a priest does it. Oh, we, you know, my gosh, we get, the Lord can't be asking us to have another child. I mean, you know, just think what that would mean. You know, and again, maybe the Lord isn't. So I'm just, but there, there could be times when we anticipate some options, commitments, and one just looks like it'd be very painful for us. And so we very quickly conclude that can't be what God wants. You know, so... Uh, and you might need to think that through a little bit uh, to see how maybe you've fallen prey to that. I certainly have, you know. Um, but instead, uh, as we discern the Paschal wisdom, that if I 
keep my ear tuned to God's will in my life, insofar as what commitments he wants me to pursue actively, then I need to be ready that at times are gonna, there's going to be a share of the cross on my shoulder. And I've done, I've done a good discernment if I peacefully accept, without resentment, the cross of Christ in my life. That's a sign that we've got done, done a good discernment. And, uh, I'm, I'm doing things a little bit differently. There is a share of the cross in it. I'm not doing what I expected. I don't have the country parish. But I, when I pray, Lord, is this where you want me? And he says, yes, this is where I want you. And so I have to peacefully accept the share of the cross that's part of this and, and be committed to it. The Magi, that passage, gives us a few thought points with regard to being more intentional about how to live in the grace of our vocation. You know, the Magi went through all that and went home so blessed by an encounter with Christ. And so how can we, relying on their journey, adjust our journey a bit? so that the grace is alive and the light shines. So I said I'd come back to Cana. Uh, and I started by recalling uh, Mary pointing out to Jesus that there was no more wine. And, kind of the, and pointing out those times in our life where we feel kind of emptied out, spent. I've, I've given all I got. And how can I find and encounter the Jesus and his grace in my life? So I'd like to go back to Cana and then just tell one very brief story. Uh, back at Cana, what does Jesus do? Fill, fill the jars with water, so they do. And we know Jesus changes the water into wine. So, you know, we, we need to allow ourselves, metaphorically, to be the wine, I'm sorry, to be the water and let Christ, by his word and by his grace, change us and make us something different. This was in the office of readings this morning. Uh, a bishop named Faustus of Riez was going to read it. By Christ's action in Galilee, then, wine is made. That is, the law withdraws and grace takes its place. The shadows fade and the truth becomes present. Fleshly realities are coupled with spiritual. The water in the jars is not less than it was before but now begins to be what it had not been. The water in the jars is not less than it was before, but now begins to be what it had not been. You know, we, we need to be that water in the jars that just allows Jesus to transform us with his intention, his love, and his grace. That happens at Mass, happens in all the sacraments, it happens in prayer, it happens in humble service, where we let the water of our natural life become the wine of his grace. You may have noticed at the end of Mass, uh, I don't know what your pastors or priests typically do, but, but there was a lot of silence before I said the prayer after communion. I've become myself more deliberate about that, and let me tell you why. Uh, one of my heroes in the church, I have a lot of them, um, and hopefully you do too. Um, one of my heroes in the church was Cardinal George, just a real uh, strong leader in the truth, and, um, but I also had a very pastoral heart. So I was, uh, his vocation director uh, brought some young men to his house for a little dinner to talk about you know, a possible vocation to priesthood. And so at a certain point, the Cardinal, Cardinal George said, anybody have any questions? And one of the young men, you know, as young guys can do, just said, uh, Cardinal, he says, why do you take so much time after at the end of, because they had just celebrated Mass together. Why did you take so much time and, you know, at the end of Mass, and just quiet? And uh, the vocation director, Father Brian, had noticed that. He said, my gosh, when you're at Mass with the Cardinal after, afterwards, you just, there's this long silence. And he always wondered why Cardinal George took so long after Mass, after, the, after communion, sorry, before the closing prayer. 
And Cardinal George says, you've just received Holy Communion. You know, there's never a point when you're more united to Christ than that moment. And in that moment, you can't lie to Jesus. So you just talk to him. I love that. You know, to be very deliberate. Now, maybe your priest speeds it up, and that's, I'm not going to tell Father how to say Mass. Uh, but it's just, for me, it's been a liturgical moment to be very intentional about letting, I've just received sacramentally the body and blood of Christ, and I don't want to lie to Jesus. You know, I, I don't want to hold anything back, and I want to open my heart, and I want to speak whatever I need to say, and I want to hear what he wants to say to me. And that takes a few minutes of silence. It's maybe the best few minutes of silence there is. So we need to be intentional and deliberate, not just serving him, and that we need to be, but we need to be intentional and deliberate about letting him serve us. This is what he wants to do. He, you know, he wants to wash our feet. He wants to feed us with his body and blood. And we need to intentionally allow him to, to love us and to forgive us and to hold us close. Maybe one more real quick thought. Uh, there's a, a Jesuit. Um, he was talking about um, you know, the, the classic, why did God make you? God made me to know him and to love him and to serve him in this life and be happy with him forever in the next. He said, I think there's something missing in that definition. And you know, he said, I would be so bold as to say this. Why did God make me? And his, here's the kind of edited answer. God made me so that he could love me and so that I could know him and love him and serve him in this life and be happy with him forever in the next. Good point. The first reason why God made you was that he could love you and love me. And we've got to be intentional about that. And then we've got to be intentional about knowing and loving and serving him in this life. It's been a joy to be with you. Your vocation is so important to the church. I believe the married vocation and the priestly vocation are so complementary. And thank you for bringing priests into your home and into your lives. Uh, you enrich them, and, and I trust that they enrich you. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. You've been listening to Ignite Radio Live over the five stations of Annunciation Radio. If you want to find out more how you can live this abundant life God appoints and anoints us to have in our marriages and our families overflowing to the world, go to ilovemyfamily.us. Join us. God bless you.